Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast from TalkSport with me, Sam Matterface, the former Ipswich, Charlton and Ireland midfielder, Matt Holland, and TalkSport's football correspondent, Alex Crook, as Newcastle start their quest to ambush the title race. Give it away straight to Bruno Guimaraes, who digs it over the goalkeeper, into the net. It's a glorious finish. It's an absolute catastrophe. Defensively for Norwich City, it's easy street for Newcastle. It's a nightmare for Norwich. What is Tim Krul doing? Yes, the tune are involved in the title already, because their next two games are Liverpool and Manchester City, who both have big fixtures on TalkSport this Saturday. Liverpool's trip to Tyneside and Manchester City go to Yorkshire as Jesse Marsh's team are accused of being dirty leads by Patrick Vieira. <laughs> Have we heard that before? Um, there's a huge weekend of relegation threatened football. Watford against Burnley, they meet at Vicarage Road. And Frank Lampard welcomes Chelsea to Goodison Park. Tottenham, Arsenal and West Ham wait till Sunday. And United don't play till Monday night against Brentford at home. It's all on the best Premier League preview of the weekend. It's the Game Day Podcast from TalkSport. This is Game Day. And a big hello to TalkSport's football correspondent Alex Crook and Matt Holland. Hello, how are you? Good morning, very well. Good morning, good morning. Uh, Hi Sam, hope you had a good birthday. I did, I had a very good birthday, I became older. Uh, which is always a... Uh, even a, a older. Thing. You're not even older. I'm only 44 years of age. It's not like really ancient. You'd have done well to get younger. Yeah, I know. I, w- I would have liked to have done that. If you can find a solution to that, that would be brilliant. Um, season drawing to a close now, so we're spending much more time on games that matter uh, rather than games that don't matter. Um, and obviously, or Aston Villa fall into that category quite a bit. Um, I, I did see this week, though, that Stephen Gerrard has got a new favourite curry house in Birmingham. It's called Ashes. Uh, also served the likes of Ed Sheeran and Tom Cruise. Now, Crook, you're a bit of a curry connoisseur, aren't you, really? I, I mean, well, actually, that might be pushing it. You're just a frequenter of curry houses. I was in one uh, last night, actually. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. That doesn't surprise me. Uh, what's your favourite dish? Uh, I tend to go for a bolty. A bolty. Yeah, a, mix, a mixed meat bolty, which is chicken, lamb and prawn. Of course it is, yeah, yeah. Um, and how much would that cost you? I mean, just just that individual dish, how much? What, 8 95 or something like that? Mm, a bit more than that, maybe about twelve pounds. Oh, twelve pounds! And what about you, Matt? What's your uh, what's your what's your favourite dish of choice? Chicken chicken jalfrezy. Chicken jalfrezy. I, I quite like a bit of heat in my curry. Yeah. Okay. All right. I like a jalfrezy. Um. And what's that? Eleven ninety five. Something like that. Yes. Something like that. Yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. Uh, what do you make of the fact that Stephen Gerrard ordered a prawn dish that cost twenty four pounds ninety five pence? Well, he's got expensive tastes, hasn't he, Stephen yeah. Gerrard? King prawn yeah. marinated in yogurt, cheese and cardamom. And he loved it so much that a bit like Crookie, he ordered a second plate. <laughs> that's, that's, that's impossible. Uh, curry, curry is quite filling. Yeah. There's no way, I, there's no way, well, Crookie might get through two dishes, but I definitely wouldn't. <laughs> so, so he spent 50 quid on prawns. Now the Villa fans know he's got deep pockets. They'll help you be uh, shelling out on players in the summer. Uh, right, oh, okay. <laughs> he needs to, by the way, because at one stage you were howling him as the second coming. And yeah. I did say, the results aren't next, great. Next, how's next how's that league table looking? Next season, next season. Right, let's get into it. Liverpool can't afford any fog on the time. And it's kickoff time for another game day on Talk Sport. Well, we've certainly got a title race on now. Headed out of harm's way as far as Salah! 3-0 to Liverpool. Unstoppable shot by Mo Salah. Joe Linton! Buries the header home. 
Liverpool. The situation in the table is clear for us, so no, no news. Across for Watkins, Watkins taps it in, the flag stays down, and that surely is all three points for Aston Villa. Oh, what a start for Norwich City! Up steps Rafinha then, and it's down the middle, and Leeds United hit the front. Corner of the penalty area, early cross, Sterling must score and does score. We're going to play every game of final to give opportunity to play another one, another one until the end. We're going to, to challenge and then the end. It ain't over till it's over. There's no league like the Premier League to tell you that. Fresh from Champions League action on Wednesday night, straight to Tyneside for Klopp and Co as they kick off at 12.30 when they take on Newcastle live on Talk Sport. Now, the plea for a move to a later-in-the-day kickoff fell on deaf ears here, uh, although there has been an adjustment for next week. They're going to play much later after their away game in Spain. Um, Newcastle have won six uh, at the last home game, six in a row at home. Uh, how do the two stop a team that have won 12 of the last 13 in the league, though, Matt? Uh, almost impossible, isn't it, at the moment? I was I was at Man City a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we were discussing the title race. And I said that both City and Liverpool will most likely win all their games. And I don't, I, I, my mind hasn't changed on that. I think this is a it's clearly a difficult game because of the way Newcastle are playing. Um, but I still feel as though they've got the ability, even though they've got games coming thick and fast with the, the European games. And um, I, I still feel as though Liverpool got the squad now, the, the ability to rotate, to change it, things up. They've got goals from all over the team. They've got Thiago in what at the moment is just imperious form. He's pulling the strings left, right and centre. Um, I think they've scored 135 goals in all competitions this season, Liverpool. So, I just don't. I just don't see anybody stopping them and Man City at, at the moment. So, whilst Newcastle are playing well, Bruno Guimaraes has been superb. Joe Linton in midfield scoring a couple last week. They've won four on the spin. They're playing well. They're playing with confidence. Eddie Howe's clearly got a plan, a tactical plan. I just don't see Liverpool slipping up. Um, it, it's a tough test, not only because they're playing well, Newcastle but also the placing of the fixture in between these two games. It has an effect, doesn't it, Crook? Yeah, it's bound to, although they made pretty light work of of Villarreal, so I don't think there's too much to fear in the second leg. I think they've got one and a half feet firmly in the Champions League final. I slightly disagree with Matt. I think if, if, if Liverpool are going to drop points, and I think it is a possibility, it will be in these next two games. Newcastle away, followed by Tottenham at home, and by virtue of the fact they're so imperious at Anfield, I think there's an argument to say this is perhaps their toughest Premier League game uh, that they have remaining. Newcastle high in confidence that the crowd will be up for it. I think they've won uh, nine or, or 10 of their last 13 games. They're a team reborn under Eddie Howe. I think this is a really tricky fixture for Liverpool and this could well be the game for me where the title race is decided. I don't think Newcastle will win I could see them looking a point. And the thing is, this is St. James's Park, and you know it's going to be oozing with optimism, noise, and what can only be described as a dizzying run which Eddie Howe has taken them on, this journey that they've been dragged away from relegation trouble now eyeing up a place in the top half of the table. You mentioned Joel Linton in fantastic form, Bruno Gramares in fantastic form, Murphy's playing well, Almiron is playing well, Wood's playing well, Newcastle absolutely flying. They get an early lead and the place will erupt. So, so, so settling in and not allowing Newcastle to get going is probably the most important thing that Jurgen Klopp and his team can do, isn't it, Matt? Yeah, I mean, the early kickoff is the other thing against against Liverpool. The twelve thirty, I think that's something that Jurgen Klopp's already sort of said that he, he's no, not happy with. I don't think he, he would have said anything about that. He he doesn't usually mention it. No, 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 no. no of, course, he's, of course, he's not one to complain. No, he, he, wouldn't, <laughs> he wouldn't have picked up on that. I, I doubt he even knows what time the kickoff is. I think it's 12.30. I think so, it might be. Yeah, I hope they turn up at 12.30 because it does kick off then. Look, I don't, I don't, I just see, I just see with Liverpool a team that isn't phased by anything, you know, and, and the quality that they've got. So even if they were to go a goal down, even if the crowd were, and they are going to be up at St. James's Park, it just won't phase Liverpool. They've been through it. They know that they've had these experiences under Jurgen Klopp. They've just developed and got stronger and got better. Um, and they just run all, all over teams. And I just don't, I honestly just don't. So I know Crookie say that this is their most, it is their most good game. Spurs next week. Spurs haven't had a shot on target for two games. I don't, <laughs> you know, I, I just don't see, you know, are they going to break Liverpool down? So I just think that at the moment, they just look unstoppable. The, the only team that can stop Liverpool 
is Man City. Yeah. Um, the last seven wins for Newcastle United, and look, they've, been, they've been on a brilliant run. Their last seven wins are Brentford, Brighton, Southampton, Wolves, Leicester, Crystal Palace and Norwich. Um, they've tripped up against the very best though, haven't they? Under Eddie Howe, they've played five matches against the Premier League's top five and they've lost a lot and they've scored only twice. So maybe, maybe we might be overestimating them a little bit, Crook. Yeah, possibly, but there've been some some unlucky performances in that time. They ran Chelsea pretty close. Was it Kai Havertz in in stoppage time who, who won that game? So uh, I can't. I think all right. I can see is the W there. I can't. I can't. I can't see the details. <laughs> but but if there is an issue, it probably is the the lack of goal threat against the top side. I think they they'll stifle Liverpool f- for long periods. But but Liverpool should have too much shooting power but as you've said that the 12.30 kickoff does come into play I, I, I've just got a hunch it's probably totally wrong and then Liverpool will turn up and win 3-0 I've just got a hunch they could drop points here uh, this is the same guy who said that the title race was done in January and that the relegation um, was all finished in October I think it was um, well, Newcastle, he had Newcastle down by the way they hadn't won in the opening 14 games yeah. I'm sure Crookie at some point if we look back at some of these podcasts I'm sure Crookie said Newcastle are down he said I'm not e- sure I did actually he's, he's, he said everything at one point during the course of the year it, it, more flip-flops than Javianas um, although Newcastle I've got to admit you know, looking at the, their, their games against Norwich Palace Leicester and Wolves, in which they've won all four of those matches, they've considered one goal. They've considered just one goal. Yeah. I mean, and lots of people talked about Eddie Howe coming in and the fact that he couldn't organise a defence. And you, you've done that before, Crook, as well. You know, you, you've mm-hmm. criticised him for recruitment and defensive, but his recruitment and his defensive setup has been fantastic. Yeah, but he's changed slightly the way that he, uh, works, he, he coaches yeah. the team. Jason Tindall, I think, now is almost a designated a defensive coach which wasn't the case at Bournemouth so I think he deserves quite a bit of credit for that as well but, but, but as we've mentioned and we've spoken about he's changed his whole the way he operates he's looked at himself he's gone abroad he's he's worked out how to be a manager of a bigger club and that is not doing everything whereas before I mean you know I, I've told this story before about how he organised the end of season do when they were promoted from League One to the Championship rang me up and asked me to host it and I was like <laughs> surely you shouldn't be doing this it should be somebody else calling me and asking me to do that do you know what I mean it's like yeah. A bit crazy. Um, 5.30, it's Leeds against Manchester City. Manchester City uh, ripped Real Madrid a new one at least twice on Tuesday night and then sewed them right back up again with gift after gift. Um, it could have been 8-2 that game. It wasn't. And as a result, they have to be very careful at Leeds, a side who have caused them issues in the past, Matt. <laughs> I refer back to Newcastle against Liverpool. I don't see anyone stopping Man City either. Um, look, they, they, they still scored four against Real Madrid. It's not like they, it's not like they turned up and had loads of chances and didn't score. But they could have scored a hundred and four, couldn't they? I mean, they they were that dominant in that first half that when it got to half time, everybody was a little bit like, "What? It's, 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 it's not eight nil." So what makes so what makes you think they're going to go to Leeds and not score four? Well, maybe because they're going to change the personnel and actually they've still got a job to do in Madrid next week. Whereas I actually think they probably could have finished that game off in the first leg if they were a little bit more disciplined and concentrated. Yeah, possibly, possibly. And, and the game should, the, the tie should be over. The tie should be done yeah. and dusted. And, and I still think they'll go to Real Madrid and, and get through. I don't see them, I don't see, see them failing to get through and, either. And I hope so. And I really hope that we have an all English final because I think that is just... It's where we are at the moment in terms of I think that's how dominate the, dominant the league is and the teams are. And I also oh. think these two teams deserve it because they are that good. They're, they're the best two teams in Europe yeah. at the moment. And we, we've seen, I think, two All-English finals in the last three Champions Leagues as well. So this will be three and four. Mm. So it just, you're absolutely right. It goes to show the dominance of, of the Premier League, where we're at. And we have got the two best teams in Europe at the moment in Man City and Liverpool. They are above everybody else. So I don't see Man City slipping up at Real Madrid. I know he'll, like you say, he'll make changes um, and he'll perhaps feel as though he hasn't got as many options as Liverpool to make those those changes. Well, it's funny home. you should say that because Pep does keep telling us that he doesn't have the numbers to make the changes that others do. Imagine having spent £1.7 billion since 2012 and not having the numbers. Um, Stones is injured. Walker's got a problem. They're relying 
probably too heavily at this stage of the season on Fernandinho. But they left Grealish, Ake, Sterling on the bench on Tuesday night. So, so they probably should be okay, correct? They'll be fine. Um, I think it was a good point for Leeds. Uh, Crystal Palace, a, a point certainly closer to safety, a clean sheet as well. But this is a massive step up in terms of opposition. And I think there's a bit of kidology from Pep suggesting that he hasn't got the strongest squad. Maybe it's a message to the owners this summer that perhaps he needs more than just uh, Erling Haaland to, to bolster their ranks, but when you've got a hundred million pound player in Jack Grealish, who isn't part of your first eleven regularly, I don't really think you can complain too much about the resources available. I think Gabriel Jesus has got quite a key role to play now uh, for the rest of the season. That might be easy to say after he scored five goals in his last two games, but he seems to be stepping up just as talk about a possible departure, maybe to Arsenal, uh, has surfaced. So I agree with Matt. I think out of the two fixtures this weekend, this is the one you can say with most confidence, in my opinion, that the title the title chases will prevail. I would say, I would say that, that Jess Marsh, you know, when he came in, there was a lot of people going, oh, why have they changed it? Bielsa should have just said, and, and he has made them more solid. Defensively, there's a bit more fight about them. They, they've been more difficult to beat. I think, I think they might even be unbeaten in, in five um, leads at the moment. And since he's taken over, he's got 11 points in his seven Premier League games. So he's actually done a decent job since he's taken over in, in making them tougher, I think, to beat than they had been so it is a more difficult game in, in that respect but Man City have got so much quality to break you down I mean Sam we were at that game the, the, the game against Brighton and for the first half in many ways Man City were fairly laboured you know it, it wasn't a vintage Man City performance but they grind you down they grind you down and De Bruyne at the moment is on a different... We talked oh. earlier about Thiago, Thiago, about the level that he's playing at for Liverpool. Kevin De Bruyne at the moment is at the top level for Man City. The way he's playing, the way he's dragging them along. Um, I think Pep described him as the best player in transition. Yeah, he did. Get, in the he, world, he said. Them, he said that to me the in the tunnel. In the, yeah. in the tunnel after the game that we were at on Wednesday night, yeah. Yeah, he described him as that best player in transition in the world. And when they're defending that break that counter-attack the way he drives the team the way he, the, the passes he picks the vision he's got he just sees things that others don't and he's just at the moment dragging City along uh, Leeds still have plenty of work to do actually to ensure safety but Matt's right uh, five games without defeat they beat Norwich they beat Wolverhampton Wanderers which was, was a good good uh, victory away from home but it was very very late drew with Southampton beat Watford away who doesn't? Uh, Crystal Palace nil. Um, Leeds nil was uh, Monday night's score. And they are combative. They're a bit more robust. And they managed to rile up the most laid-back man in the world in Patrick Vieira this week, Matt. Yeah, yeah dirty Leeds. And, and they, look, they did what they had to do. They ground out a result. And they've, t- they've taken a valuable point. Because their fixtures, the next three, um, they've got this one against Man City. Then they travel to Arsenal, yep. and then they've got Chelsea yep. at Ellen Road as well. So the next three fixtures are really difficult ones. So that was a really valuable point against Crystal Palace, just to just to get, you know nudge them that little bit further to safety. And then they've got two games to finish against Brighton and Brentford. Brighton at home, Brentford away. So they're the two games that they'll be looking at as as you know the ones that they need to to win and, and keep them safe. But because the, the next three are, are really difficult. And as I say, that I think, they, I think they did exactly what they needed to do at Crystal Palace, just to drag that point and, and just take them that little bit closer to safety. Yeah, you don't fear for them relegation-wise, do you, Matt? Who knows? I mean, who knows? Because the way, you know, Burnley have picked up results, seven points from nine. Um, the way they, mind you, Everton, Everton at the moment, they're fixed to list as well and where they're at. I, I think Leeds will be safe, but they, these next three are, are tough matches. And you know, if they get, if they lose all three, for instance, they go into that Brighton game under real pressure to win it. Uh, Aston Villa won't be relegated. I wouldn't have thought, but, but they aren't as comfortable as they might have been after five games without a win. But they should get back to winning ways against Dr. Norwich, who usually make everyone feel better, Crook. Yeah, the Dean Smith derby. Um, This is a perfect opportunity for Villa, as you say. But only eight points clear at the relegation places. You might know better than me, Sam. 15th in the table. Where were they when Dean Smith was sacked? I don't think the league position is drastically different. We had a a heated debate. I've alluded alluded to it already about Steven Gerrard when he started at Villa and wasn't winning many games. You said, yeah, but look at the standard of calibre, including Manchester United, by the way, they struggled to beat in that FA Cup game. Look at that now. And you were defending Stephen Gerrard. Yes. I think it's been a, I think it's been a poor appointment so far when yeah. you look at the league table. Listen, the problem with you is, is you assess 
um, you're very binary. You're one of these new people that goes on Twitter and has a, a, a black or a white opinion. You don't you, you don't look at the nuance. And the fact is, is that Aston Villa obviously got much better when he turned up. They competed with some of the very best. They created some some great chances. They had some injury problems. They've got some good players in the door. Now they're in a situation where their season was over in beginning of February, basically. They knew they weren't going to get relegated in February. And they knew they weren't going to get into the top half of the table because of the bad start in February. So the rest of the season has been a little bit of a meh. There's not really much to worry about. As a result of that, performances have tailed off a little bit and they're planning for next season. Watch them next season. As I said, during the heated debate, which you lost, um, that, um, that, that you see how they develop over the course of the next six months, the first six months of next season, you'll see a very different side. Um, so they'll, they'll be fine. They've got some good players. They'll get better players. The one thing they haven't got is a lot of goals, Matt. And despite having Ings, Watkins, Coutinho, by, uh, Bailey, they, they failed to score at Villa Park in three of their last four matches at home. That, that would be a little bit of a concern, I think. Yeah, it, it would. Uh, I, I was at Stanford Bridge and, and we had a, a bit of a conflap between a few commentators who were Aston Villa fans. Rob, and, Hall, um, Rob Hawthorne. Right. Oh, I, don't, I didn't want to name names. I wasn't trying to name names. But there, was, there, was, there was two or three Aston Villa fans and they were sort of just debating about what's going wrong, what's what's happening at Aston Villa. And the name Coutinho came up yes. a little bit as well, as, as just to say how he's he's gone off the boil a little bit. Is it worth them spending the money that it's going to take to bring him to, to Villa Park long-term? Has he stifled the impact of Buendia? Because you know, him coming into the side has meant that Buendia isn't in the team. Um, so there was a bit of debate about the future of, of Coutinho between them, whether they should should keep him or not. And that's you know something is not affected games enough. Now the argument might be that there's players maybe not on his wavelength, don't quite understand what he's trying to do, and he's seeing things that they're not seeing. And so there's, there's that argument that he's maybe better in a better team, um, but. There was there was definitely a debate about Coutinho, so that's that's a little bit of a worry for them. Um, they finished fifty uh, five points last year. They finished eleventh. They're a long way off that this season. This has been a disappointing campaign for Aston Villa, and and I don't think Stephen Gerrard will be will be particularly pleased with the way things have gone, particularly in recent weeks. Now, good news that Jacob Ramsey signed a new deal. That's you know he's a player that's going to be a, a big big player for them. Yeah, I like um, him a lot. I like him a lot as well. He's got a bit of everything, hasn't he? He's, he, he you know, takes you forward and, and he's, a, he's a terrific talent. So some good aspects about Matty Cash, I think, has been outstanding for them as well at, at right back this season. I think he's been been brilliant. Um, but there's, there's a lot of work for Steven Gerrard to do this summer and there's a lot of decisions to be made. And so, yes, they'll be safe. Um, this is a, a game that they'll enjoy because they're up against Dean Smith, former Aston Aston Villa manager, and, and it's his first time, I think, back to, to Villa. So it's a game that, that they should enjoy, and you'd, you'd fancy themselves to, to, to score a few in this one. But it's a big summer for Stephen Gerrard to turn this around. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply.
Yes, the Sunday session comes live from Goodison Park this Sunday afternoon and Everton uh, could find themselves five points behind Burnley before kickoff. Uh, now, they did all right, actually, in the Merseyside derby. And I suppose that is their best hope, isn't it? Playing in a basic, structured, resolute way, hoping to nick something in this game and then trying to put points on the board. So in the so-called easier fixtures, how much does scoreboard pressure play a part at this stage though, Matthew? Yeah, it absolutely does. You know, I've been in relegation battles and when, when uh, you play a game, you come back in the dressing room and automatically the first thing you do is how such and such got on, how such and such got on. And invariably when you've won, everyone else has won. Invariably, when you've lost, everyone else has lost. And you think, oh, if only we'd got three points a day, we'd have been up. And, and, and honestly, it's, it's, a, it's a horrible feeling when, you, when you're in that position and you're looking around at what others are doing and you, you, you do worry about what the other side's does doing. It, does it affect you in games itself? If things aren't going well, you can feel it. You can sense it. The crowd sense it. There's a nervousness about the place. And it, I think it's easier then to perhaps take the easier options, um, to try and do things safe. And that's, you know, something that, that Everton did a little bit at, at Anfield, didn't they? Because you know, they, they, they reverted to a, a defensive structure. They reverted to get men behind the ball. And it's the hard thing is then to be able to turn that into an attacking performance, to turn it into a more positive, open game. Um, and I think when you're in that position at the bottom, you tend to be a bit safer than, and, and, and not go for your passes, not go for try things that because there's a nervousness about the place. And particularly at home, I think that's more more evident. And and actually, Everton's form has been better at home than it has away. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, they've, they've been much better and, and dealt with that pressure a little bit better at home. The fans are brilliant. I, the Everton fans, honestly, they, they are some of the best fans in, in the league. The, the way they stick with the team and the way they back your team, um, and and you know, I think I think that they the players recognise that, and I think the, the fans have helped them a little bit at Goodison Park. But they're in trouble. They're in big, big trouble. And and uh, crikey, I, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say with any certainty that they're going to stay up now. I just, I just, you know, I, 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 about three months ago, if you'd have asked me, Everton, they'll be in relegation trouble. They'll be in the bottom three. They'll be on the verge of going down. I thought, mm, no, they'll be all right. I think they've got good enough players. Be Charleston, Calvert Lewin. I just think they'll be okay. I think they'll get enough points. Now I'm looking at it thinking, I'm not sure they are because yeah. Burnley have turned it around. Leeds are, are fighting and, and scrapping. I'm not sure they are going to get out of it. You shouldn't worry because Crook's already told us that the relegation situation is done and dusted. It's finished. Burnley. Is it the Burnley, Watford and Norwich. He's already told us. He said, don't okay. worry about it. Everton are too good and they'll stay up. He's already told us about this. And I was sitting in the back going, going I'm not sure. I'm worried about Everton. I don't want Everton to go down, but I'm worried about Everton because I can see it. You know, they've got Chelsea at home. Then they've got away to Leicester, go away for what to Watford. They've got Brentford at home, Palace at home, finished with Arsenal. Burnley have got Watford. Then they've got Villa at home, Spurs away, Villa away again. Then Newcastle. I mean, the fixtures, I mean, it, it's a toss of a coin stuff, isn't it, really? Well, based on what you've just read out there, you'd say that Burnley's fixtures look a little bit more favourable than Everton's. And they have sleptwalked into it in, in some ways, Everton, because I think a lot of people, probably even within the club, felt the same as me. There would be three worse teams than Everton. But it's the lack of goals, isn't it? We don't know if Dominic Calvert-Lewin will be fit for this game at the weekend. I mean, his injuries and, and his poor form this season has been a major factor. You know, you think how many goals he scored last season. He started the campaign well, then got injured and has never really been able to get fit. Richarlison flits in and out in terms of form. I saw Chelsea last weekend labour uh, to victory. Wasn't particularly impressed. I thought Havertz was quite poor. Werner, well off it. Lukaku just looked out of shape when he came on. So I don't see Chelsea as being a side who will necessarily put Everton to the sword. But the counter to that is where are the goals coming from for the home team? I know they've been working doubly hard uh, on set pieces on the training ground. Paul Clement, uh, one of Frank Lampard's uh, backroom staff, has really put a lot of focus on that because they aren't getting goals from dead ball situations either. So uh, as Matt said, it's a, it's a big problem for Everton. And as we sit here now, I can't say with any certainty that Everton will stay up, particularly yeah. not when you look at the two sets of fixtures. So there is yeah, a, a pervading narrative that a lot... 
I mean, there is a school of thought that there are some people, the majority of people, actually really want Everton to go down and Frank Lampard to suffer because they don't believe that he deserved to get the job in the first place. He's not qualified for the job. Why should he have got it? He's been over-promoted into a position that he, he, shouldn't, he hasn't warranted. I read an article the other day which was scathing. It basically just said, I'm delighted that Everton are in this situation and that I, I hope that they go down because, because, because of this, that and the other. And I was like, well, why? Why do people not like Frank Lampard? Why do people not like the idea of of someone who has been a a Premier League stalwart. He's played in the league for 15, 16 years. He's been a great ambassador for the sport. He's never really done anything that has been anti-football or or anything controversial to sort of put himself on on the front pages rather than the back. I mean, there was the incident, I think, when he was a kid with Kieran Dyer and Ferdinand. I think that was like 30 years ago. Long time ago ago now. It was a long time. But like, like, seriously, this has been pretty much a model professional ever since coming into the Chelsea team. He's won everything. He's been a part of some of the great Chelsea moments, Premier League moments, England moments. He went and played for Manchester City for a year and, and they love him up there. So, so so what is it about Frank Lampard and Everton that people are taking a little bit of joy in? I don't really understand it. For me, I think it's more about Everton than about Frank Lampard. When you look at the money they've spent, maybe the, the delusions of grandeur that some of their fans have. And for me, this season... They hounded out Benitez. I think if Benitez had stayed, they wouldn't be in this situation because he started the season well. They looked like they had a tactical plan. They were well organised. Then he got hit with injury to key personnel. I think he would have turned it around. Then they were going to appoint Vito Pereira. There was graffiti put up outside Goodison Park saying they didn't want Vito Pereira. So they've ended up with Frank Lampard, who I do agree with people who say, what qualifications does he have for this job? Okay, he did well at Chelsea for a season in very unique circumstances. He didn't do too don't, badly at Derby when you look at it now. I don't think he did as well at Derby as people suggest. When you look at the players that he had at his disposal, um, I, I think they probably should have got promoted and they didn't. So I can understand why people don't feel that Frank Lampard necessarily has done the hard yards to be parachuted into what historically is one of the biggest clubs in the country. Well, well, hold, so on, he, hold on, you say that about um, Derby County, right? But where have they been since he left? They, I mean, he got them to a playoff final. Have they got anywhere? I think they're in League One now, aren't they? Yeah, but they, they they imploded financially and, and maybe there's an argument that say that Frank Lampard he, he played a part in that. No, he didn't. He didn't spend any money. He bought most of his players in on loan, if you remember rightly. Well, what, Mason Mount was there for 50 quid a week, was he? No, but at the same time, he wasn't, he, he, he wasn't, you weren't playing full price for him, were you? And the same with Tamori and the same with the others that he bought in on loan. And the fact that Harry he was... Wilson, they loaded the up fact, the wage bill. The fact that he was there... Their, their wage bill was a lot bigger than, they than their championship players rivals. That they wouldn't have got otherwise. And they got, it got them to win the, within a a hair's breadth of getting promoted. Surely that... Uh, the problem is, is that I think you sometimes, like I said this to you before, you're a little bit binary. It's either it has to be absolute success or it's an abject failure. Sometimes it's a little bit in between, isn't it? I don't think Everton would have gone down under Benitez. I think if they go down under Frank Lampard, he does have to shoulder a fair amount of responsibility. What about the, the statistics that tell you that he hadn't won in about 400 games, Benitez, prior to his sacking? That was a brave appointment. That was a brave appointment start of the season, wasn't it, with with Benitez and the, the, the connections that he had with Liverpool, it was always going to be one of those. That you felt he had to get off to a good start. Fortunately for him, he did, um, but it, it turned sour. And, and because of his, those Liverpool connections, there was always going to be that little bit in the, in the background. You know, I, having played for Ipswich and um, any sort of Norwich connection that comes to the club, automatically they're under more pressure straight away because because of that Norwich connection and I think Benitez Benitez was exactly the same my problem with Frank Lampard is that he meant I got released at West Ham when I was 20 and he came <laughs> through ahead of me and, and you've seen the, everyone's so you, seen the video you me want him Scott to fail me and Scotty Cannon we got bombed out at West Ham and Frank Lampard got into the first team that's my problem with him <laughs> look they've got to start winning games because drawing them isn't going to be enough their best hope is that they are they are better at home. They're infinitely better at home. But Chelsea have had their own issues and much better on the road. Um, and uh, they've had a free midweek for the first time in a long time. But Everton have failed to score in four of their last eight matches. As Crookie says, that is a problem. Goals have been a major issue uh, for Frank Lampard and his team. Uh, everything's an issue for Watford, who uh, take on Burnley on Saturday at 3pm. Uh, Mike Jackson couldn't have got luckier with the fixtures if he'd tried. If there was one team he'd be desperate to face this weekend, it would be lethargic, casual, easy-to-cut-open Watford. Any hope for Everton fans here? 
Come on, so, someone make a case for them. Make, you know, try and help them out. <laughs> do you know, do you know, Silence is golden. No, like, let me. Like, a few weeks ago, Sean Dyche got sacked, and people were going madness, madness. Yes. My my All of my us. initial reaction, my initial reaction was one of not being surprised at that decision. Now, clearly, it was a fallout. The timing of it was strange. How close it was to a weekend, um, and, and you know, it raised a few eyebrows. It raised my eyebrows because of that. But it's not like he hasn't had a chance at, at Burnley. He's done a really good job, admittedly. But they were going down with Sean Dyche in charge. They were absolutely going out the Premier League. So why not make a change and try and do something different? I, I felt it was actually a brave call, yes, but I thought it was the right call to get rid of Sean Dyche. They may still go down. They may still go down, but they were going down with Sean Dyche in charge. Yeah, they've given themselves they've given, a chance. I think now. they've given themselves a chance. They, they were going down, honestly, with Sean Dyche in charge. So I, I've got, I have no problem with them getting rid of him at the time that they got rid of him. It's something that Perry and I discussed on Sunday, and we've been, we were, we were quite big on the fact that they played Norwich a couple of weeks ago, and they were absolutely useless. Like I was at the pro- game, proper useless, Terrible. and and that uh, we couldn't, we couldn't see how it was, how, how they were going to turn it around from there. And we got a bit of stick from Burnley fans who said we we're watching a different game, and they had loads of shots on goal and all this kind of stuff. And we were like, no, they were rubbish. And they're playing Norwich. You've got to go and beat Norwich if you want to stay in the Premier League. They had the Cornet chance, didn't they? Yeah. They the, that, if that goes in, it's a different game, of course, but. Yeah, and he, he he didn't score, and Norwich got the second. That was it. But and, and then but, they sacked him after that. And and like, I must admit, when I first saw, well, why have you done that? What 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 plan have you got in place? And when it was so close to the next game, I thought this is just like this is just someone who's just thrown the toys out of the pram, and they've fallen out, and they've gone, you're fired. They've got no plan going forward. That is a worry for me at this stage of the season that you haven't got anybody to come in and sort out the team. Now they might have stumbled something on Mike Jackson because he's picked up seven points since taking over. But it doesn't really matter whether they have stumbled over it or not, because as you say, they've done something, they've affected change, and it has given them a little bit of hope. Watford have conceded 39 goals in 16 home league games, which is astonishing. You know, what's astonishing, Sam, is that they had the best defence last season in English football, Watford. Yeah. Believe it or not. Believe it or not. They've they've changed it now. Changed it for the worst. I mean, mean, that Samir fella, I mean, Christ, he doesn't doesn't know his, his, his backside from his elbow, does he? I've said it before their recruitment in January was poor I mean you've just mentioned one of the signings that they made but I, I think I, also like the the point Kam- the- I like Kamara the left back I think he'd be alright I'm, I'm not overly enamoured with him either to be honest but the point that Matt's just made about them having the best defensive record in the country last season I think that highlights the gap between the Premier League and the Championship we got Fulham coming back into the Premier League next season Tim Ream uh, was man of the match in the game that I saw at Bournemouth last weekend he's played every league game we already know that he won't cut the mustard in the Premier League because every time they get promoted, he starts the season, makes some errors and gets dropped. Um, I've spoken to people at other clubs competing for promotion for the Championship and they think that all three teams who come up this season, whoever they may be, and it's still wide open, will come straight back down again. I think it's a problem, uh, the, the, the increasing gap between the Premier League and the Championship. Obviously, Brentford have bucked that trend this season. I think they'll struggle next season, particularly if they lose... Christian Eriksen. But in terms of this game, Watford are down. This is a massive opportunity for Burnley, as you say, to put that scoreboard pressure on Everton. I wouldn't rule out an away win here. And um, to back up what Matt was saying, I think we all scratched our heads more at the timing of the Sean Dyche departure, not because it was after the Norwich game, but because it was so long after the Norwich game. I think if he'd gone on the, on the Monday or the Tuesday, you could have said they were dreadful. They were going down. This is a good call. I don't think the owners did have a plan in place. I think they've stumbled upon this caretaker management team. Their plan was to appoint an interim boss until the end of the season, a firefighting type manager. I don't think they'll do that now. And that's credit to Mike Jackson and Ben Mee and the rest of the guys who've come in because they have been able to bring about an immediate change of fortunes and change of performance. So credit to them. Have you spoke to any Watford fans this week? Has anyone spoke to a Watford fan this week? I've got a few on social who have been clutching at straws telling me that uh, the goal they scored at the Etihad was a thing of beauty. And it was. It was a, it was a good team goal in a 5-1 defeat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, any, any, any rumours about who might bring them back up when Roy retires? Sean Deitch, maybe. Actually, I was speaking to a Watford fan in the aftermath of Deitch's sacking and uh, she was saying, oh, he's been, people saying he'll come to Watford. They've already sacked him once. And I said, well, that's, that means he's got a fantastic chance of getting the job again uh, because that's how they do business. Um, but I think he is the type of manager um, that they need. I, I think it's quite a sad end to Roy Hodgson's career. And I wonder if 
you spoke to him honestly if he regrets going back in now because you don't want to end such a stellar career with relegation and they are going down with a whimper and again I think we all felt when he was appointed that he would be able to bring around a, a turnaround in results that just hasn't happened West Ham against Arsenal is Sunday 4.30 and it's not what West Ham needed in the middle of a seismic semi-final with Eintracht Frankfurt but they take on Arsenal who have revived their top four hopes. I thought they rode their luck actually a little bit against Manchester United but they stay together as a team and he's been good at at bringing the ones he he wants into the tent, Mikel Arteta. I wonder now because of the two big results against Chelsea and United ultimately whatever happens he's going to be okay isn't he Matt? How do you mean okay? As in, what, finishing the top four? Well, no, I think that in January, they were so far ahead of everybody else, January, February, so far ahead of everybody else in that top four uh, position that they had it in their own hands. They threw it away. They've managed to claw it back again. But now, because they've beaten Chelsea, they've beaten United, there is a bit of a feel-good factor around Arsenal for whatever reason that actually, I mean... People starting to draw it, be drawn into the cult of Mikel. Even I was like in the tunnel on sun, Sunday, uh, Saturday afternoon, and I was like, you know, great fella, yeah, I understand what he's trying to do. He's pulling me into it as well. You know, yeah. it, no one's going to get rid of him now, is what I mean. I think, you know, if 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 they'd continued on that downward trajectory and lost to Man United and failed to beat Chelsea, then they would have been in a situation now where Tottenham had almost secured fourth place already then I think maybe you would have looked at him and gone, yeah, I'm sorry, he's just not up to it. But now I think everyone's thinking, oh, you know, he's saying about this guy. It's, well, it's interesting. I mean, it's interesting with, with Arteta and what he's done this year and, and what he's... I think the, the priority this season has been to get the right dressing room, mm. get the right people, to get the people who are going to come along with him. Not people who are going to necessarily question him. Totally. Not people who are necessarily not going to do not going to do the work. Not necessarily going to put the effort into to get Arsenal to where they want to be, which is in the Champions League, because they haven't done that for quite some some time. So I think his priority this season was to try and generate an atmosphere around the club, a positive a positive atmosphere where you weren't having one or two individuals bringing it down and having a negative effect on a group, and and particularly big individuals. Big name individuals. But, but, but Matt, there's not many managers or many head coaches that get a situation where they're appointed in 2019 and then in 2022, they're still sorting out the problems. I mean, look, that shows yeah, how this, big the job long, was. But Sam, we, Sam it's a long ter- it, it was a long-term I, job. I, I, I totally Arsenal, agree with right? you, but so, not, so the answer, not many so other the, places allow that to happen. Well, so so we're talking about Man United getting a new manager yeah. this summer, Eric Ten Hag. And everyone, so, is this a blueprint is, for him? All I keep hearing is, got to give him time. Got to give him time. Got to give him the chance to get rid of the players that he doesn't want, Get change the atmosphere at the club. Now, how long is that going to take? And well, how long... By the looks of it, three years. Well, three years. So all of a sudden, we're talking about Arteta. You just said there, 2019 to 2022. We're now three years into it. If he finishes in the Champions League positions this season, people will say, well, he's had that time. He's done this. He's done that. He, he's brought... It's the youngest team in the Premier League now. Yep. All these signings, all these signings in the summer were twenty-three and under. He's he's made a deliberate attempt to, to make it a younger group, a, an energetic, fresh group. He's had players come through the system into the first team. He's promoted them into the first team, and it's taken time. It isn't something that's happened overnight. Sir Alex Ferguson didn't win anything for five years at Man United. It took him that long to. He started at the bottom, started with the academy, and built it. Now. Eric Ten Hag at Man United is going to be in the same position. Are we 18 months' time? Man United are going to be sat six and they're still not quite happening. It's not, you know, they've not done this, they've not done that. But then are we trusting Eric Ten Hag then to do it? So this is what Arsenal have done. They've trusted Mikel Arteta. They've trusted the process. <laughs> I knew he was going to say that. No, you no, you no, absolutely no. teed him up for that one. I didn't want to say the process. <laughs> I didn't want to say the process. There's, there's a number of words and, and, and stuff in football that I don't like, but trusting the process. Look, he's had his time. I think he's done a decent job. I think he's ridded the club of, of people that he needed to, I, I think, personally. Um, and I think he's got a good, young, fresh, energetic group. It's not perfect. It's not right. It's still not a team that's going to challenge for, yeah. for titles. But it's a team that now are pushing for Champions League football when actually they, they've gone eighth, eighth, fifth, whatever it is. And now they're looking at potentially finishing fourth. I actually think next season could be a problem for Arteta because sometimes you can be victim of your own success. I think they are favourites to finish in the top four now. I think they'll win this game uh, against West Ham. I think it's perfect timing 
uh, given that it's sandwiched between the two legs of the semi-final for the Hammers and the fact that they uh, are no longer candidates for a place in the Champions League. But they're going to big back in the Champions League next season. Therefore, they're going to try and attract a, a higher calibre of players. I still think that's difficult when you look at the the financial structure at Arsenal and the fact that we know that Mikel Arteta can't necessarily deal with big egos. I think it will be more difficult to cement their place in the top four next season because if Conte stays, Tottenham uh, will be a much more formidable outfit. <laughs> Manchester United simply have to improve under Ten Hag. They can't get any worse. So if Arsenal find themselves seventh in the table and getting hammered in the Champions League, I think those fans will quite quickly turn on Mikel Arteta. Tottenham against Leicester um, is also uh, this weekend. And this is, this is a big game for Tottenham Hotspur, isn't it? Because someone's got to shoot at the actual goal, Matt. <laughs> yeah. Two, two games without a shot on target. It's incredible, really, isn't it? When Just as you thought they were the team that were going to finish fourth, that they, they you know, they, they've done... You know, have a couple of games like they've just had. So it's it, frustrating, I think, from Antonio Conte's point of view. It, it's a good fixture for them, I think, particularly with Leicester in between two European yeah. semi-finals as well. And I, and, I, and I think, you know, I look at Leicester, I look at West Ham, their priorities have changed, you know, this season and over the course of the season. You get to this stage, you know, David Moyes made six changes at Chelsea last week. Rested Declan Rice, rested Jared Bowen, rested Mikhail Antonio because of the semi-final, and Leicester are in a similar position now. I'm pleased in so, a way because I'm th- I, I was worried that David Moyes was starting to try and still you know because he's been juggling all season trying to keep everybody happy and put you know all well, of his big but uh, period Sam there was still a chance of them finishing the top four. Yeah, but now that's gone. He had to concentrate on the on Definitely. the track Frankfurt games. Definitely. So there was a period where whereas Leicester. For a long time, they've they've been chopping and changing for the European games anyway. Yeah. Their priority their priority has been the Europa Conference League. So that they whilst they you know they've, they've climbed the table a little bit, I think they're in the top top half of the table now. Um, they still have had the priority of, the, of of Europe, and so in that respect, I think that's a good fixture for for Spurs. Yeah, um, Tottenham Hotspur obviously scored quite a lot of goals at home, which is another big thing. Uh, for them, we're going to send Perry Groves to this game on Sunday in disguise. Obviously, uh, thirteen <laughs> goals in their last four home league matches. Maybe it's just away from home they've got a little bit sticky crook. How, how do you disguise Perry Groves? He's quite a distinctive character, isn't he? What's the outfit going to be? Um, a big hat, definitely. Um, <laughs> some glasses, a fake moustache. Can we, can we dress him as Mikel Arteta? Yeah, you can dress him as Mikel <laughs> Arteta, <laughs> Captain Scarlet. <laughs> Get, get him a t-shirt. We trust the process. Yeah. Um, I think Tottenham will be frustrated um, that they're no longer favourites for the top four because w- when you look at the the points they've dropped, you know, nil-nil against Brentford. Okay, Brentford on a good run of form, but if you're serious about qualifying for the Champions League, surely um, that is a game with the attacking talents you have, you have to win. Brighton at home at a time when Brighton uh, couldn't themselves get too many shots on target, let alone score any goals. So I think I think it's been a frustrating couple of matches. I agree with Matt. I, I think this is a good time to be welcoming Leicester because obviously it's huge for Leicester, their first ever European semi-final. And Brendan Rodgers will make changes. We know that. But it's still the onus will still be on Tottenham to, to go out and win the game because Leicester will still be competitive. But even when he has made changes, they've still managed to, to pull off a couple of wins um, with their second string. So Tottenham need to get their mojo back and they need to get it back quickly because I think we all want to see uh, a North London showdown in that rearranged game the final week of the season to determine who finishes in the top four. And this game comes before the Arsenal fixture at West Ham as well. So win, and they're in the top four. And and we talked about scoreboard pressure. Arsenal then are looking at it thinking, we're outside the top four now. Yeah. Um, okay, uh, before we go, I want you to try and help me out here because uh, I need a bit of aid. Come to my aid because speed is everything. Um, Southampton play Crystal Palace this weekend and Wolves against Brighton also this weekend. Uh, both of them kick off at three o'clock on Saturday. Could you please help me out by finding something interesting to say about either of these two games, please? Uh, Crook? Uh, difficult. Um, the, the archetypal end of season, uh, dead rubbers, although Brighton still have ambitions to finish in the top half of the table. That would be success for them. Wolves could still finish in, in the European places. They're only three points behind West Ham uh, with a game in hand, so there's plenty to play for for them. And in terms of Southampton, uh, I just think we'd all send our best wishes to Tino Livramento, one of the breakout yeah. players of the season. Horrible injury 
that he picked up last weekend. Confirmed, Such a shame, isn't it? it? Yeah, confirmed it's an ACL, won't play again probably this calendar year. And I think that will change Southampton's transfer plans for the summer because they're not blessed in the fullback areas anyway in terms of depth. So some work to do for Ralph Ars and Hootsville on the board. Only Norwich, Burnley and Watford have scored fewer goals than Wolverhampton Wanderers uh, this season. They play Brighton this uh, weekend. Uh, they sort of draw quite a lot of games though, Brighton. Then you can see this being another draw. I mean, I, I, I on Sunday I was like Southampton versus Brighton. He's got a draw written all over it. And, and it was. They draw almost every other game, Brighton. Yeah, it does look like a draw. Uh, but listen, a draw, right, so I'm going to give you something exciting. Okay. A draw... A draw takes Brighton onto 42 points, wow. which would be a club record in the Premier League. Wow, fantastic. Well done. <laughs> oh, no, sorry, 1-1. One, one. Well done. I like that. That was good. You did it with so much energy. Um, and Southampton against Crystal Palace. Um, both teams have scored in each of their last five Premier League meetings between the two at St Mary. So it could be an entertaining game. Are you going to that, Crook? No, I've been diverted to Plymouth, actually. I, I was due to... First of all, I was at Southampton Palace. <laughs> that sounds like a crap holiday story. Oh, I was coming back from uh, Lanzarote and I was diverted to Plymouth. First of all, I wasn't. Um, then I was bumped up to Watford Burnley because of the magnitude of the fixture. And now I've been sent to Plymouth against MK Dons because there is a possibility uh, that MK Dons can uh, nick an automatic promotion place and find themselves in the championship next season. How is Plymouth versus MK Dons bigger than Watford Burnley? Well, that's that's a, that's a question for those oh, uh, of a higher pay grade think, than me. I, I think you've been downgraded. You've been well, demoted. I, I think there's a common misconception that because Portsmouth and Plymouth are both coastal towns, that when they play each other, it's some kind of derby, and therefore it's not a long journey for me. I tell you what, it's 178 yeah, it's miles, miles from Portsmouth to Plymouth. I let's just hope they, nearer. <laughs> let's just hope they don't end up in the championship because I'm not going there every other week. I can tell you that for I'm nothing. <laughs> Watford is nearer, oh, definitely. He, honestly, how big times Crookie got? Yeah. Oh, I'm not going there every week. It's too I'm far for me. Oh, if they're I'm in the I'm not doing that. Make no. sure the bosses hear this on hey, the podcast. Hey, oh, I'm bigger than that, aren't I? God, dear. Sending me down to Plymouth. Oh, God. Cool. What are they? Undervaluing me or something? Undervalued. <laughs> undervalued. To find players that they believe are undervalued. Yeah? No. Undervalued. Oh, you're a <laughs> <laughs> Oh, leave that in. Yeah. Please leave that in. She will. Don't worry. She'll just bleep it out. Thank you very much. Uh, cheers, Matt. Appreciate uh, your time. Cheers, Sam. Uh, Crookie, thank you very much. We'll see you over the weekend. We're back on Sunday when we're going visual again on Sunday uh, for our uh, podcast. And we're actually going to allow Crookie to appear on camera this week. So can you make sure you tidy yourself up? That's if I'm back from Plymouth in time for Sunday night. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, okay. That'll be out on Monday morning when you uh, wake up and then we'll review all of the weekend's footballing action from the Premier League. Thank you very much for downloading the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. Remember, we've got live games from Newcastle and from Leeds this Saturday. Newcastle against Liverpool and Leeds against Manchester City. The top two are live on TalkSport. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18+, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.